chapter 10. Mark 10, verse 17, and uh, in Mark 10, you know this story pretty well. It's the rich young ruler. Um, I'm turning this message around, calling it Ruling Riches. And uh, we're going to see what this study bears out for us to understand We need to be ruler over riches. How many of you know that? God said, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Uh, There's nothing evil inherently with money at all. It's just commerce for a system. That's fine. It's what it does to people and what people do with it that is the problem. And, And many times money can rule us instead of us ruling money. And so we're going to look at this story right now. Let me read it to you. Read along uh, to yourselves, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie or defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished by what he said. Well, then who could be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, hey, we left everything. We're following you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. We need to unpack that and begin to understand what Jesus is saying. First of all, let's understand that this is a rich young ruler, very wealthy. He comes, he kneels before Jesus, giving prominence uh, to him. All right, the, the greater always blesses the lesser, so he shows his reverence to bow down. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hey, big question, isn't it? And so Jesus says, this is what you need to do. And he lists six of the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. And we're talking about the Decalogue. We're talking about Ten Commandments of Moses. He says, you know them. And he lists them. And he lists six of them. And I find that interesting. He starts at the back of the list. He lists the six commandments that have to do with how to treat others. And so he says, if you will do these things. Guy goes, got it. (laughs) <laughs> been doing that all my life this is good and i love jesus's response he looks at him and he loves him mm. he he shows the compassion he sees where this man misses it and then he asks him to do one thing 
He says, I need you to go sell all that you have and all that you possess and follow me. Now, what did Jesus just do? He challenged him on knowing the commandments. Jesus knew this man's heart. That's why he, he loved him. He, he, he had compassion on him, understanding where this guy was going to miss it. So Jesus targeted the exact place of his need and the exact place of his sin. And he said, go sell everything. What Jesus actually did was bring him to the top of the Ten Commandments, to the very first commandment. Does anybody remember what it is? You shall have no other gods before me. So what he did is he nailed this man's idolatry. He nailed this man's God. For what did this man put before God? Money. He said, go sell everything and follow me. And he turned away because he couldn't do it. And Jesus pointed out the exact hindrance to him entering into eternal life. He could not surrender all. The New Testament demands that we surrender all, everything, that we give God everything, and we must surrender our lives to Him. It's amazing, he goes on to say this, that as he's talking to this man, is anybody up there? For some reason, this won't click, Eli. He talks to this man, and the man cannot do it. He walks away frustrated. This man literally walks away, and Jesus turns around and says, it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. Now, that's outrageous. That's an outrageous statement. Rabbis do that quite often. A common phrase was to, for, an, uh, for an elephant to pass through the eye of a needle, but uh, Jesus chose a camel. So maybe it was more relatable to the people that he was talking to. But it's, it's in a hyperbole, right? A hyperbole is exaggerated speech to make a point. So if, if I say that it's almost like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle, you would think what? That's pretty hard to do. You'd have to grind them up and put them through a juicer and it's just not good. It wouldn't work. This isn't going to work, Right? You can't put, uh, you've seen sewing needles, you can't put a camel through there. So that's outrageous. Well, you can't put people through the eye of a needle either. So uh, some have debated over this statement, and some say it also means the eye of a needle in the ancient city gates. Uh, in, the, in the gates of the city, they had huge gates that they opened up so caravans could come through, camels could come through, folks could come through, but they would also close it, and then in those gates was a door. And that was called the eye of a needle. And so he's saying, and quite possibly they might have been in front of some doors right then and there, and he said, it's impossible for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle like a camel through the eye of a needle. Because a camel can't go through that door unless you take all the possessions off that camel's back, all the cargo, all the load, and that thing gets on its knees and crawls through. Look, I'm not here to debate this particular saying The point's the same on both of them. You can't come into salvation if it's on your terms and you can't pay for it, you can't own it. You have to give everything away. You must die to self. And that's what he's saying. Riches trip us up. I want you to remember one thing. There's nothing wrong with money. Money only magnifies the character that you possess. Money only magnifies the person you are. 
Now, how many of you would think I could do a lot better with more money? I think that quite often. You know how many people won the lottery? You know how many people won the lottery and are now bankrupt? Because having all that money only magnified the poor stewards that they were. Well, I'm a pretty good steward, so God, could you give me some of that money? He may not give you the finance because he wants you to operate in another way of prosperity or in another area. It's not the money you need. In fact, when you have Christ, you have everything. He said to Peter, he said to those who will lose everything for me, if you'll lose mother, house, land, property, you'll gain it back a hundredfold. How? Because now I belong to the family of God. When I'm out of my house, you'll invite me to your house, hopefully. And if I'm losing a car, you'll lend me yours. If I have no possession left, the body of Christ will care. You'll get it back a hundredfold because now you belong to the body of Christ. And so there's a blessing in that. It's not the money. And then he says this, an amazing thing. He says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now that's an amazing statement. It's, it's the great reversal. I love it. I want you to think about something in our day and age and in the world. Who stands at the front of the line? You got guys like Donald Trump and, and you got all these rich people. You got folks who who uh, own all the property and the kings and queens who have all the authority and the people who have all the power, we put them at the top of the list, right? They're the people who are the important people. We, we celebrate those people. They're celebrities. They're stars, right? At the top of the world's list, you got people who put fat in their butt and that's something to talk about and show them on National Enquirer. And, and you got people who are, who are great, wonderful sports people and they spend millions of dollars and we watch them all day long playing games and throwing a we pay a millions to do these things and they're at the front of the line but us where are we how do you feel in the world's economy and in this place right typically we're where we're at the back of the line because i don't have a lot of money but what i do have the lord says for me to give to somebody else so we're not going to make it to the front of the line no one cares about me and my story they want to see the exaggerated and wonderful stories in this age but there's going to be a time where there's going to be an amazing reversal and shift for in this world those who are at the front of the line he's going to say about face and everyone will turn and the last will be first in the kingdom of god and the first will be last. A great role reversal because the economy of this world might be the greenback, but the economy of heaven is the very person of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's awesome. It's going to be an awesome and great day when we get to heaven and we recognize that those who were last in everybody else's line and list are first in heaven. That's glorious. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, Jesus said, don't get caught up with money. Don't let money rule you. And that's the story of this rich, young ruler. Money ruled his life, even to the place where he could not recognize God. He could not understand the law. Though he did his religious duties, he could not find personal relationship with God because you can't buy your way there. You have to know him. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart is also. And that's the point Jesus is making. He tested this man's heart. Where was his heart? 
Where was his heart found? In the love of God or the love of money? The love of money. Really, folks, money's all about the heart. Jesus speaks about money quite often because, again, he knows where your treasure lies. What you value is where your heart is. So I have to ask you, what do you value today? What do you treasure? And again, Jesus spoke a lot about money. In fact, I'm going to keep talking about it. Let's talk about money. There is a new pattern in the New Testament concerning finance and money for the kingdom. Would you turn just a page over to Mark chapter 12? I want to show you something in verse 41. Mark 12, 41. Jesus and his disciples were hanging out one day. And as they're hanging out, it says that he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. I don't know how long he was there. I don't know how long it took. Knowing the timing of Jesus, he knew that someone was coming that he wanted them to observe. So he's watching people putting money in the treasury box, in the offering box. And it says this, that uh, many rich people put in large sums. And then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, about a penny's worth. And he called his disciples to him. Hey, boys, come here. Look at this. I want you to check this out. He said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. Now that befuddled them. That would, that would be odd to them because... You know, God blesses people who are faithful. I mean, we understand that, that the rich people are blessed of God. That's why they have the money. That's called the gospel we hear today on TV, right? We know you're blessed of God because they, God gives you cash. I guess the mafia is blessed of God. I, I, I mean, the logic to this is, is really interesting. He said he gave, she gave all. He said you can add up all the money in that box and no one gave with the same what? Heart that the woman gave. She gave. They gave out of abundance. She gave out of poverty. What did she give out of? Heart. It's not the pockets, it's the heart. This is how we're to give to the things of God. God bless you if you can give 10,000. But that may not even phase your heart. Someone gives 10 bucks, it's all they got. But the heart issue is what counts and what matters to God. This is what God is working in. That's the economy of the kingdom. What does your heart say? What are you doing financially with your heart? Don't let riches rule you. Many of you think you'd be so much better off with more money. I really have to ask if that's true. Would you? Or would you be better off with a closer relationship to Jesus? What would it take? Money's not the issue. The heart is. And how tightly you hang on to it will reveal your heart. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And in the New Testament, He doesn't care whether you give 10%. He cares what you give from your heart. He doesn't care about the percentage. I'll get into that in a minute. But we look at this. Let me ask you this. How much did the lady give? 10%? 100%. How much did Jesus ask the rich young ruler to give? 10%? All of it. And then I hear teachers who say, well, 
If he would have given all of it, I'm sure Jesus would have said, oh, I was just checking you out. I just thought, you know, you can keep it all. In fact, uh, we could use some of that cash to help us out. But uh, you can keep it. I just needed to see if you'd do it. No! God doesn't care about your 10%. He cares about your heart. He owns all of your money. Because when you came to Christ as the rich young ruler, he says, I want your whole life. I don't want 10% of your life. Don't give me one day a week. Don't give me Sundays and Wednesdays. I want your whole life. You have to die on the cross with Christ Jesus. That means everything you own dies on the cross. And so your economy belongs to him in total. Did he give you 10%? How much did Jesus give of himself to his people? Could you imagine if Jesus went to the cross and said, yeah, I'll just nail a hand on, that's about all I'm going to give. Right? Come on, he gave his whole being, his whole heart, his whole mind, soul, his body. He gave all of it. God went to the place where he died and spilt his blood for us. Folks, this issue of money reveals the heart. God wants all of you. And the illustrations today that Jesus used concerning money and the heart was the New Testament principle of tithing. It's all. It's all of it. Let me give you the concept of the tithe. Why do we call it a tithe? Tithe means 10. Where do you think we got the idea that 10% represents the whole? Yeah, right? This is 10%. You holding on to the rest. But in the New Testament, giving is this. And the 10% represents that aspect of it. The tithe historically always represented the whole. God wants you to steward what he has given you. Here's the New Testament concept of what you own. God owns all of it, and then he'll let you steward it in your life for his glory. And you're to honor him by giving back a representation of that. Now, I want to talk about money because I I think it's important for us to understand what God's doing. How many of you, I'm not going to ask, but look, at if you make $30,000 a year, let's put this all in context. If you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1.23% of the world's richest people. It's 30,000. You make more than that, you'll boot up to the top 1%. So if you make $30,000 a year, oh yeah, but pastor, in our culture, in America, in my city, in this area and region of Detroit, my $30,000 does not get me far. I'm just letting you know that in context to the rest of the world, you're rich. You're rich. Now, if you make less than that, I'm going to tell you, 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 you're about... Uh, down in this area, but you're still going to be in the top 5% of rich, riches and wealth. So what are you telling me that for? We're blessed. We're blessed. We could be living a whole different life, but we're blessed. And out of that blessing, we've got to begin to understand our responsibility. Amen? And so we need to give, like the widow or the young ruler, Begin our financial considerations first by understanding God owns it all. Now what does he require of me? 
And so I want to share with you some concepts. There are Old Testament concepts of giving, and there's New Testament concepts. And I want to teach you properly what they are. Let's go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the tithe was asked of the people. Again, the tithe is what represents the whole. In the Old Testament, there were three tithes required, not by all people, but just in general to Israel. The first tithe was the Levitical tithe. Now, this tithe was a tithe of agriculture and livestock, okay? Money was not involved in this tithe. And we have a lot of preachers that want to bring the Old Testament tithe into the New Testament by saying it's money. The Old Testament, that's foreign to them. It wasn't money. It was the currency of their time. They gave to the Levitical priests. Those who had land to grow crops and livestock to bring meat and food tithed 10% to the priesthood. Why? What's the reasoning? Because the Levites had no land to possess. They were working in the temple 24-7. They couldn't tend to fields. They couldn't tend to livestock. So it was required of the other 11 uh, tribes to give of their livestock and crops to the Levitical priests. So in all actuality, the tithe of the Old Testament was for those who had livestock and who had uh, vegetation. Uh, You know, typically carpenters and uh, other kind of workers, millwrights and different folks, they, they didn't pay a tithe to the Levitical priesthood. And secondly, it was tithe in God for the appreciation of the land. It was to celebrate Israel. When they went into captivity into Babylon, they did not tithe. Well, why not? No temple, and they weren't in the land. So Jews today don't tithe. If, if you want to see the Old Testament tithe, let's go to the Jews. They don't tithe. Why not? No temple. They're not in the land. There's no Levitical priesthood. All right? So the Old Testament tithe... was by livestock and agriculture to go to the Levites. Second tithe was to the feasts. So they were to give a feast tax of 10%. This was finance. This was money. And so they were to give. Last of all, the tithe for the poor. That happened every three years. So they would take a third and a third and a third to pay for the poor and to care for the poor. So in total, if you want to be a literal of bringing the Old Testament tithe into the New Testament, you've got to bring 23.3 cents percent in. So I know many go back and say, if you're not giving 10% to God, you're robbing God and God will curse you. We've got a problem with that and I'll explain that a little later. But in fact, if you want to be like uh, up to the snuff as far as the Old Testament Scripture, it's not 10%. You need to start giving 23.3% if you're going to keep the Old Testament tithe. Volunteers? <laughs> if I told you what the ratio of, of church members today that actually give 10%, you'd be amazed. And so it's the majority of Christians who do not give 10%, and yet they are under the condemnation of most preaching. And I want to share with you what New Testament giving is all about, all right? Now, let's take a look. Would you please go with me to 1 Corinthians 16, and we're going to prove this out. The New Testament tithe. Let's get it straight right off the bat. What percentage in the New Testament does Jesus require? 100%. 
100%. All that you have is his. You owe him everything. Now, now you're gonna come, you may not come back next week. <laughs> Pastor's going to take an offering. He wants 100%. percent i got to put my house note, my mortgage, my cars. I have to give everything to the pastor. Not to me. It's not to this church. It's to him. You give everything to him. He owns everything. Can I help you get your house in order? Can I help you get your financial life, financial life in order? First start with knowing that God owns all of it. Give it to him, please, because you're managing it poorly. So start with giving it all to him. Woo-hoo! Is he going to check my checkbook? No, 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 no. He's going to teach you how to do it. But first of all, give it all to him. When you begin to give it all to him, then you will now become a steward to him instead of a slave to your bills. Okay? So we give it to him. That's where it starts. Now let's look at what the New Testament requires in our giving. So remember, where, does, where did Jesus uh, center giving on? The heart. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. So remember, New Testament giving is based on heart motivation instead of percentage motivation. You with me? Okay. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week. Okay, there's a directive. Uh, What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. What's the Sabbath? Saturday's the Sabbath. Sunday is the first day of the week. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We gather on Sunday to celebrate Resurrection Day. He said, that's the day I want you to meet together, and that's the day you are to take a collection. And we do. So we're doing okay so far, huh? All right. You're nervous, I can tell. On the first day of every week, each of you. All right, let's try that. Um, What do you think that means? everyone each of you well i'm not 18 yet are you saved did jesus save your soul do you believe in the lord well you should be giving why do you give all to god listen if you're going to give everything to god and you need his directives with your life financially i know you're praying for your next you want to get a car i know you're praying to get a yearbook or this or that or what you want in school huh don't pray to your parents give it all to god and begin getting into this economic flow. We teach our children how to give. Give an offering, okay? You need to engage yourself in the stewardship financially to the kingdom. So everybody, everybody. Now, I know it's tough. Some of you are married to an unbeliever. There are some women here whose husbands are not believers. And if they found out you gave any money to the church, you're in trouble. What am I going to do? You're going to go to hell. I'm kidding, but I'm not. There are people who teach this. If there's no tithe, God's going to curse you. Well, he does in Malachi. Will a man rob God? That's the priests who were robbing God in the temple by not sharing the, the Levites who were not giving their 10% to the high priests. They were keeping it for themselves. They had nothing to do with the offering plate of everybody else. So what is God requiring? Okay, we're getting there. He requires you to meet and collect on Sunday, and every one of you... Give. Give. How much? Let's figure that out. Everybody give. All right? Each of you is to put something. There it is. Put something. 
Now, what's your motivation? Your heart. So let me ask you something. How is it that two, two little copper coins that was a penny could compare to the Sadducees putting in $1,000? It was a heart issue. Totally heart issue. Do you think God needs another $10,000? Do you think he needs another fifty? I mean, really, really, when you think about this. Ah, I didn't give him enough, you know? That's not the point. This is all about your heart. The New Testament is all based on faith, engaging you in relationship. He owns it all already. It's all about engaging you. So everybody, first of the week, each of you put something in there, something aside, and store it up in proportion to your blessing. As you may prosper, he says. So it's according to what you make. This year you may not make what you made last year. So in a percentage of what you make, put something in. All right, does that make sense to you? Some of you retired, you're now on a fixed income, you don't have what you used to have. Is God not going to bless your promises as much anymore? Not as much cash in the play. No, 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 you give in proportion to what you can. All right? And this is the biggest problem. Look at Look at, if you think that you're going to get back from God based on what you give in the plate, then we've got a problem. Let, let, let me show you something, okay? So here we, we've got it so far. On Sunday, each one of you set aside what you store up and give in accordance to how you have prospered. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. It's not that far. It's right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Second nine, six. Second Corinthians nine. Look at this. Whoever the point is this whoever sows sparingly will reap also sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That is a principle. The principle of reciprocity. Look at it. If you put one seed in the ground uh, of a, a, an apple seed, one seed will then grow and it will bear the fruit of an apple. There's six seeds in each apple and that multiplies 30, 60, 100 fold from the one seed. It's the law of reciprocity. It's the law of harvest. It's in the earth. And he says, if you will sow to the Spirit, you will reap of the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. But when it comes to money... We like to keep it all money. When you sow in the money, you'll reap of the money. But let me ask you something. Are you sowing to the money or are you sowing to God? Because a lot of teachers on prosperity say you're sowing the money. God doesn't need your money. That ministry needs your money. God may not need that ministry. That might be an evaluation. But I love these verses. They'll, they'll take these verses and say, if you would send us a hundred... No, you know what the new thing is now? If you'll send me $73.84, because 7384 is my verse that I'm claiming for you today. So they think if they mix it up and put a little cash and change in there, oh, I got a word, I'm going to give that money. Does anybody watch TV? Don't you see this? Yeah, yeah. And guess what you're going to get back? 30, 60, a thousand fold back. This is awesome. Cha-ching, the Christian lottery. Come on, God. I'm going to give him some of that cash. I'm going to get it back. Now listen, God will finance what you need to finance according to his purposes in your life. 
And many times you sow money into God and God will meet your needs. I have testimony after testimony of sowing finance into the kingdom and God blesses money back. I'm not disputing that, folks. But let's understand one thing. If I want to sow into the kingdom and I want to sow into the Spirit by giving money, I want to return by the Spirit. Huh? Come on. How many of you want love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, right, goodness, self-control, or 50 bucks? No, seriously, what do you want more? What do you want more? We got people who are getting cash back, but they're miserable. I'm paying $100 to this sowing a seed in this man's ministry so he'll heal my marriage. Well, if you get 1000 bucks back, that ain't going to heal your marriage. And here's the worst part of all of it. You think by giving money to God, he's going to bless you. You need to understand one thing. Every blessing you receive from God comes from the merit of what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing by what you put in a plate. It's Christ and Christ alone. That is what is such an offense by this idea that we're paying for our blessings. They have people who give $50 prayer line, $100 prayer line. How sick is this to the cross of Jesus Christ? If you need something, don't go to the $100 prayer line. Run out the back door and get to someone who will pray for you the blessings of God based on what Christ did on the cross. Every blessing we have is based on Him, not us. Now, of course, there's an issue of obedience. Of course, there's an issue of sowing and reaping. But all blessings come through Christ's benefits on the cross. So let's be obedient. Let's figure out. I got sidetracked. Oh, so sow so, so into this thing. How many of you know, you heard some of these verses? Now, if you, you can't outgive God, and I believe that, that's true. But if you give to God, he will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your lap. How many of you heard that about money? That's a verse taken out of context. Read the verse. Go home. It has everything to do with human relationships. He said, if you will treat others, you will be blessed, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. It has nothing to do with money. And so you've got to look into these things. Again, if I'm going to sow into the kingdom, what he's going to give back to me are the riches of the kingdom. When he said to Peter that those of you who will forsake mother, father, brother, sister, land, and anything else will be persecuted, but you'll get a hundredfold back. What he meant by that is what the riches we gain in the kingdom of God. The riches of gaining a new brother and sister and mother and father in my life. There's the riches. It's all heart motivation. You're still waiting for me to move on. I'm going. Now, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Well, that's interesting. So how do we determine how much we're supposed to give in the New Testament? It's a clue. I just read it. What you decide in your what? I'm sorry. I, I couldn't hear you. What you decide in what? This is a heart issue. It's not a percentage issue. It's a heart issue. What you have decided to give in your heart between you and the Lord based on what you are making at this time, based on how you are prospering, all right? That is what you're to give. 
That is what you're to give. So you have to establish. Here we are in January, Book of Mark, chapter 10. I didn't choose this, God did. We're here talking about finance for the year. So we have to give. So what you have to do is you have to figure out what am I supposed to give every Sunday that I set aside. That's a determined amount, all right? You set it aside. I've determined at the beginning of the year what I'm going to set aside and give according to what I'm making this year according to my heart. And I'm going to make that determination. And so we need to do that. You need to go home now and and wait till I'm done. And you need to decide what am I going to give this year to stay faithful to? Now, what happens if you lose your job and, and what you decided shifts and changes? Too late. You're locked in. God will make it come back out of you. No. He told us according to how you prosper. So you shift according to where you're at and have to prosper and make a decision. If you decided, and that's why a percentage is the best way to go, a percentage of what you're making. I'm determining to give 7% this year. I'm determining to give 10% because that represents everything. So I'm going to determine 10. I'm going to represent 7. Well, I'm just now newly retired. I I don't know what my finances are. I'm going to go with 5. Then give the 5. And if things collapse, still give the 5. If things increase, give the 5. Because you've determined it in your heart. Amen? Now he goes on. He says, each one must give as he decided in his heart. And here we go. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And most everybody in the church, when you talk about money and you talk about the offering, feels some kind of compulsion or reluctancy. God says, I want you happy. I want you to give out of a cheerful heart. The Greek word for that cheerful is hilaros. I want you happy, hilarious, come on, man. Let's give. Here's the point. Because if you will, first of all, give everything you own to God, not the church, not to people, give it to God. You be the steward over it, but you give it all to God. It's yours, God. Go home and say this, God, it's all yours. This car, it's yours. Cast the demons out of it. Do something. It's yours. All of this is yours. It's yours. Determine and then begin to say, God, help me steward what you have made me Lord over. Listen, you're supposed to rule and reign with God. You're going to judge the angels, and you can't handle a checkbook? You're supposed to steward your life for eternity in in the heavenlies, and, and, and we can't decide what to give God? You decide first what to give God. You set the kingdom first. That's where your heart is. And you determine that percentage of what you should give. Not reluctantly anymore, but joyfully i can't wait man this is working the reason you have joy now is because you've begun to set your house in order you put god's priority first instead of giving god the last bit you had oh i had to pay for the house i had to pay for this i had to pay for these kids teeth i had to pay for that i had to pay for this uh this week it's it's uh, seven bucks jesus of course, I had to have my latte, and I had to have McDonald's, and I had to go have this, because of course I have to sustain this temple. <laughs> Give yourself to Jesus. Not under compulsion. Again, all the compulsory uh, uh, curses that people put on Christians. It, it amazes me that it are, in the New Testament, you've become the body of Christ, haven't you? And so you've become the body of Christ. And we have people who, who don't hit that 10% mark. And if they don't hit that 10%, God's going to curse you. I've heard it spoken. So that means he's cursing his son, Jesus. 
because you've missed the mark. As if he's going to answer prayers based on what you put in the cash box. Right? You cry out desperately on Thursday, oh God, I need you, something's happening bad. He goes, sorry, (laughs) you were 3% short in your offering. (laughs) Gabriel, bring me the books. Were they at 10? No. You're on your own, pal. It's sad what we've done. New Testament giving, let me conclude with this, is based on these things. Number one, it's by faith. Paul tells us that every gift operates by faith. If you prophesy, prophesy according to faith. If you speak in tongues, speak in tongues according to faith. If you teach, do it in proportion to your faith. So all gifts are by faith. When you give, it is by faith. Everything in the New Testament is by faith. And so you've set a percentage aside. You've declared what you want to give. If it's 10, great. Listen, let me talk to you 10 percenters. God bless you, 10%. But can I tell you, if you've been paying 10% tithe for the last 20 years, you're no longer giving out of faith. You've adjusted your whole system to where 10% is good. You're good with Jesus now. I'm good. i got a safety net. I give 10%, man. I'm all right. I'm blessed. And we get that mindset. But you're no longer giving by faith because you've set your whole order by that. It's nothing. So there's no faith in this. There's no reliance on the Holy Spirit. You're not checking in your heart what God wants you to give. But if you've been giving 10% for the last 20 years, I challenge you by faith, now give 12. Give 14. Holy cow, wait a minute, pal. No, remember it's by faith. Avail yourself to God. This is a heart relationship, so give out of your heart. Secondly, be faithful. Be faithful. Church, we've got to be faithful in our giving. Could you imagine a church? Let me give you a scenario. Could you imagine a church that in the third quarter, let's say July, August, and September, everybody decided to stop giving? And, and the church fell into a $30,000 hole. Could you imagine that? What would happen if a church did that? Just saying. If you were at our business meeting, you'd understand the irony of this statement. No other reason but everybody stopped giving. What would happen? We got troubles, don't we? All right, so you have to be faithful, you have to be consistent, you have to be diligent in your giving, and what does that say about your heart? Priority, priority, priority. Last of all, be available, you've got to be available. God has needs all around you, people have needs all around you. You set your money aside, and and you've got your house adjusted so that now you're available to God. Right, I was going in the other day, my wife and I were going to lunch, we were going in, and some guy right on time walked right by and said, hey man, you got a couple bucks, I need some food. I thought, man, that's my, I was, I'm going to get food. But what struck me is I have a card, he doesn't, so I gave him cash of what I had that I was going to use to buy food, but I knew I had money in my bank. Be available. Be available. Oh, you got ripped off, pastor, you don't know what he's spending on. Look it, I don't care. I am just acting on the prompts of God. Be available with your finances. Last of all, you'll store up treasure forever because moths and uh, snakes and critters can't eat it and rust won't corrupt it and whatever. (laughs) You're storing it up for the glory of God. And when that beautiful line shifts and there's an about face, you'll be at the front of it. And I close with this. I love this saying by Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. Make a life for Jesus Christ. Amen? Go home today and pray and determine in your heart, 
everyone. What percent? What do you need to give faithfully to the kingdom of God so that you will adjust your entire financial situation so that 100% of it is in dedication to God? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you.